have your copy of God's Word there with you, let me invite you to take it and uh, be turning to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. You know, that description of our God being the ancient of days, uh, you find that in the book of Daniel, uh, as God is referred to the ancient of days, and it speaks of his eternality, the fact that he is eternal. Uh, There's never been a time when he was not. There never will be a time when he is not. He is the I am that I am. And in him we place all of our trust, our confidence. And as the ancient of days, our God knows history forward, backward. History is his story. And we're going to see in Daniel chapter 2 how that really is uh, the truth of God's word. As you're turning there, the name Carl Sagan is perhaps familiar to you, but uh, he was a world-renowned astronomer and astrophysicist and was perhaps the most widely acclaimed celebrity from the scientific community in the last two or three decades of the 20th century. In 1980, Sagan co-wrote a special 13-part series called Cosmos, that would go on to become the most watched series in the history of PBS. And the series really just covered a wide range of subjects, uh, such as the origin of life, uh, the mystery of the universe, humanity's place in the universe. And that series, though it aired 40 years ago, it instilled within those who watched just this haunting sense that there's not much that we really understand about our universe, Uh, that it's a mystery. Well, Sagan himself was an agnostic, and being an agnostic, he held to a worldview that basically was based entirely upon naturalistic assumptions. In other words, Sagan believed that the universe around us had to have some type of natural cause, therefore it has natural explanations. And so there's all kinds of theories and all of that uh, that goes into trying to explain that, but essentially he began at a place that ruled out the existence of a sovereign, omnipotent creator who is the architect of the universe. Sagan said that The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena and that our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. He called it the pale blue dot. In fact, he would write a book called The Pale Blue Dot. Well, in December of 1996, just three weeks before he died, Carl Sagan was interviewed by Ted Koppel for an episode of Nightline And the interviewer asked him this question, Dr. Sagan, do you have any pearls of wisdom that you would like to pass on to the human race? To which Sagan replied, we live on a hunk of rock and metal that circles a humdrum star that's simply one of 400 billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of billions of other galaxies which make up the universe which may be one of an infinite number of other universes. And that's a perspective on human life that's well worth pondering. In other words, here is this brilliant mind who had spent so many countless hours observing the material universe, trying to understand the material universe, basically admitting that he's clueless when it came to the mysteries of the universe. 
If only he would have understood and believed the truth of Daniel chapter 2, verse 28, that we're going to look at here in just a few minutes. But simply says this, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Here in Daniel chapter 2, the chapter begins with a pagan king who has been having a dream. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's king of Babylon. The Babylonian Empire was under his control and command, but he's not able to sleep at night because he's been having terrible dreams that he doesn't understand. The dream was a significant dream, one that he knew had an element of mystery to it, but it was one that he couldn't understand. He couldn't figure it out. And so he turns to the smartest and most respected wise men of his empire uh, in hopes that they're able to provide some type of an explanation and an interpretation into the dreams that he had been having. And yet none of his learned men of degree in the empire were able to offer him any answers. However, there is a young man among the exiles in his empire, one of the captives from Judah, and his name is Daniel. And really, the book of Daniel uh, tells us the story of Daniel's life in Babylon, and it spans some 70, 71 years as he serves a succession of kings. But as we pick up the story of Nebuchadnezzar and his dream, uh, in verse number 24, um, as the story goes, because the wise men weren't able to offer any explanations to the king, the king says they're useless, and he orders their execution. As the decree to execute the wise men of Babylon has gone out, that would include Daniel and his three companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get together and they begin having a prayer meeting. They seek the face of the God of heaven. And the Bible says that in a vision of the night, God reveals to Daniel the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had been having as well as uh, an interpretation of that dream. So we pick up in verse number 24. If you've got your place there, begin reading with me. Daniel chapter 2, verse 24. The scripture says that Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon, but bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, it was his Babylonian name, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. In other words, Daniel's simply saying, look, I'm not better than any of your other advisors. 
I'm not wiser than any of your other wise men. I'm just simply a vessel that God has chosen to reveal the dream and the interpretation of the dream so that I can make it known to you. So Daniel's giving glory to God here. Now he begins to interpret the dream. Uh, Verse 31, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, beast of the field, birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. There shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. And then the text goes on to say that Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. He paid homage to Daniel, offered or commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods, Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries. For you've been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. 
But Daniel remained at the king's court. Now, if you go back through the 49 verses of chapter 2, you'll notice that at least four times, on four separate occasions, God is referred to here as the revealer of mysteries. Now, we looked at the first part of this chapter last Sunday, but uh, Daniel acknowledges that God is the God of nations. In his prayer, after God has made known to him the meaning behind the dream that the king had been having, Daniel worships God and he makes several statements about God and his sovereignty and declares that God is the one who is over the nations. And as such, he's the one who raises up kings. He's the one who takes kings down. He's the one who exalts nations and gives nations certain powers. And he's also the one who takes those nations down. He's sovereign God over the nations. But also in this passage, we learn, and this is really the crux of the issue in this particular chapter, our God is the revealer of mysteries. All of Babylon's wise men can't tell the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and they certainly can offer no interpretation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, but because we serve a God in heaven who's the revealer of mysteries, God is the one who uh, reveals to Daniel the insights of Nebuchadnezzar's dream patterns. God is the one who explains to Daniel what the meaning of those dreams, uh, what it is. And and it all has to do with future world empires. And so in this passage, there's an example of how God has revealed the truth of his word. Uh, The book that you have in your hands, the Bible, is a fascinating book. It's a living book. It's the only book that reads you as you read it. Uh, the Word of God is living, it's sharp, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and, and the truth of God is not something that humanity has stumbled upon, but what's contained in the pages of God's Word is His revealed Word. Mystery truth that He has revealed prophetically to His servants, the prophets, and the apostles. And in this particular case, God has revealed to the prophet Daniel basically a snapshot of human history. You might could say that Daniel chapter 2 is one of the most important prophetic chapters in all of the Bible as it contains the seedbed of all prophetic truth. If you want to know what's going on in the world and if you want to know where the nations of men are headed, then you need to have a firm understanding of Daniel chapter 2. Because folks, let me tell you something. It's all going to end in a spectacular, glorious kingdom over which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to rule forever and ever. Now, that's shouting opportunity for you, uh, good Baptist, this morning, because, listen, our God is sovereign and in control, and no matter what's going on in the crazy world in which we live, Jesus Christ is king. And we're going to rule and reign with him as those who trust in him. Well, in this passage, we, we see Daniel seizing a moment of divine opportunity. He then explains the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and, and, and he offers this message of a coming kingdom, and that's really the whole point of this dream. So notice with me to begin with the moment of divine opportunity. Daniel recognizes that he's been placed in Babylon for such a time as this. Now keep in mind what's already been said about Daniel back up in chapter 1 verse 17. Uh, To Daniel it had been given this gift of interpreting dreams and visions. So he's carried away from Jerusalem as an exile. He's forced to live out the remainder of his days as a captive in a foreign land when all of a sudden the king of this particular country begins having dreams and no one is there to be able to offer an interpretation. But Daniel is sovereignly placed into those circumstances for that very reason. 
God in his providence had so arranged the circumstances of his life to place him in Babylon because it's God who's going to be giving these dreams to Nebuchadnezzar, showing him what's really going to happen as far as human history is concerned. And so you'll notice Daniel's attitude then before the Lord. You go back up earlier into chapter 2 and you see him seeking God's face in prayer and worship. Long before he goes and stands before the king, he's been before the king of kings himself on his face in prayer and worship. And so his attitude is one of uh, submission to God and his truth. He's not so much concerned about knowing what was going on in his world as much as he was concerned about knowing God who reigns over all. So he's got this deep desire within his heart to want to know God, to want to serve God, to want to make the truth of God known. God had given him the gift of understanding dreams and interpreting those dreams, but Daniel's confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in God. And so verse 19 says that the mystery of the dream had been revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. That word mystery, it's used eight times in chapter 2. And it translates a word that refers to hidden truth that's revealed. The idea is that God had concealed prophetic truth in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he enabled only Daniel to both know the dream and its interpretation. And it all had to do with God's future plan concerning the nations. And so in an act of prophetic revelation... Uh, the Holy Spirit shows Daniel what the king had dreamed and what it all meant. And so upon receiving this insight, Daniel worships God. Uh, He extols God for his sovereign rule over the universe, and he declares that God is the one who's the revealer of mysteries. So this is his attitude before the Lord. And then you get into the passage that we've read, and you'll notice the answer that Daniel gives the king. He goes before King Nebuchadnezzar and the king asks him the question in verse 26, are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Now that's the very thing that the the wise men of Babylon could not do despite all of their credentials, despite all of their countless hours studying the stars. Imagine Nebuchadnezzar's shock when he hears this young Hebrew give this reply. No wise men. No enchanter, no magician or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. (laughs) In other words, the answer cannot be found with human wisdom. You take all the Carl Sagans of the world, all the Stephen Hawkings, all the Neil deGrasse Tysons, all of these guys with all of their collective wisdom and knowledge and credential combined cannot come up with one single answer to the mysteries of life. They can observe, they can see patterns, they can understand that there are fixed laws that govern the universe, but unless the revealer of mysteries opens their blinded eyes, they're left to grope around in the darkness. And that's not just true of them, it's true of humanity in humanity's lostness. Man's just so desperately trying to come up with some type of answer to his existence. What is the purpose of it all? Why do I exist? What's the meaning of my life? Is there an ultimate purpose behind my existence or am I just spending my days on this ball of dirt, this pale blue dot? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The world couldn't figure it out. The world couldn't get to God through its own wisdom and ways. 
It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. God so saw to it that the preaching of the gospel, his spirit would take his word and generate faith in the human heart. See, in order to understand the mysteries of life in God's universe, you have to be born again, my friend. In order to understand your ultimate purpose and meaning in life, the fact that you've been uniquely created, made in an image of a God, a God who loves you like you can't even begin to imagine, but a God who's so infinitely majestic and holy you can't even begin to fathom. This same God wrapped himself up in human flesh, came all the way to this pale blue dot and suffered and died on a cross for your sin. That's not worldly wisdom. That's wisdom from another world. That's heavenly wisdom. The writer of Hebrews says it's by faith that we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, if you're trying to look at everything that's visible to try to figure out the mysteries of the universe, you're going to come up short every time because it can only be seen and understood through the eyes of faith. Faith in Christ all things exist by him, for him, and through him. So the answer to the king's problem doesn't lie with the wise men of the world and their observations. Notice that Daniel presses further in verse 28, and he says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. <laughs> and he's made known to you, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Nebuchadnezzar had risen to power unlike any other in his lifetime. He had quickly established himself as the ruler of the world. All of the world was under his power. There was no rival worthy of consideration at the time. And yet, God is showing him that his vast empire was something that God had given to him. It wasn't something that he had built himself. And so Daniel is telling the king his thoughts, and he says in verse 29 that he who reveals mysteries has made known to the king what is to be. And Daniel doesn't take any credit for this because he says, listen, God is the one who's the revealer of mysteries. And Nebuchadnezzar, you don't need to look to me, you need to look to God. Now, um, not only is he before the king here, but then notice, notice he get, goes on and explains the meaning of the king's dream. And that's the second thing that I want you to see in this text. In verse 31, Daniel begins to interpret the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had been having. He tells him the dream and then offers the interpretation. And he says that the dream had to do with an image that Nebuchadnezzar had seen. He says, you saw, O king, a great image. And this image was mighty, it was exceedingly bright, this image stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed about a fearsome image of what seemed to be a man, a massive statue of a man that was made up of various parts. It was great in the sense that it had this imposing presence and was immense in stature. And the sheer presence of this image struck terror into the king's heart in his mind and Daniel begins to tell Nebuchadnezzar of how this image had a metallic character it was made up of different metals uh, he says the head was made of gold uh, the arms and the chest were made of silver uh, the midsection was bronze the legs were made of iron and the feet were comprised of an iron clay mixture now you go back and you look at the image itself and 
there are just at least several observations that we could make. You'll notice that the preciousness of the metals deteriorates from top to bottom. That is, there's a depreciation of value all the way from gold down to clay, which isn't worth much. The gold, as far as atomic mass, the gold is heavier than the silver. The silver is heavier than the bronze. The bronze is heavier than the iron. And so sitting upon a clay foundation, this is a top-heavy image that's destined to be toppled. And then you'll notice that while they decrease in atomic mass, these various metals increase in firmness or hardness, going all the way down to the iron and then the iron-clay mixture that doesn't hold together. Now, I'll come back to this in just a minute, but I want you to notice what Daniel says about this. He explains this image was made up of various metallic parts, and then he says that it's suddenly destroyed. In the dream, the king saw a stone that was cut out, but not by human hands. And this stone then struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to smithereens. Verse 35 says the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind scattered them away so that not a trace could be found. But the stone that struck the image, Daniel says that in the dream it became a great, great mountain that filled the whole earth. Now, that's the dream. If Daniel stopped here and told him the dream, but there were no interpretations to be found, we would probably say that Nebuchadnezzar had been eating pizza with an extra helping of mushrooms the night before that contributed to his overactive brain, and that's all that was going on here. But now we know that's not the case because the Bible says this is a dream that comes from God. And it all has to do with an image. But then notice the interpretation then of the dream as Daniel proceeds to tell Nebuchadnezzar that the image he saw pointed to a reality that was greater than itself. In other words, this is not about a statue. This is not about the image itself, but the image that's made up of various parts. This is symbolic of man's kingdoms. This is history, the history of world empires in a nutshell. It's a vision of world empires, both present and future. To begin with, you have the head of gold. Verse 37, Daniel says, You, Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, into his hand um, he's given wherever they dwell the children of men. Daniel says, You are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar was powerful. It was the head of the most powerful empire um, on earth at the time. And, and, and in fact, his whole kingdom was so, uh, his so, so spectacular. The Greek historian Herodotus uh, said that uh, Babylon itself was filled with gold, saturated with just an extravagant amount of gold. Uh, so all of this, Daniel says, it's not your doing, king, but it's the God of heaven who's given you the kingdom. And really, this is Daniel's way of pointing out the king's accountability, which, by the way, if I were to just take a time out, you remember what Romans 13, verse 1 says, you've heard that a lot here lately, that says there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And Christians ought to be the most model citizens of any country, because we understand that government, power, those who are in positions of authority are ordained of God. And so 
We're not troublemakers, even though we get criticized as being troublemakers often. The Neros of the world always want to pin the problems of Rome on the Christians. But authority comes from God. There is no government except that which God allows into power. And Daniel's saying, this is true of you, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it may be hard for us to understand, but folks, even the most wicked and cruel regimes of man serve the purposes of God, if not, but to just be an example of his wrath against them. You say, what are you meaning? What are you saying? Well, Paul says something like this in Romans chapter 9 about Pharaoh of Egypt. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I've raised you up. I'm talking about the same Pharaoh who, who was so uh, hostile toward God's people in the Exodus. Where they were held captive as slaves for 400 years. God says, for this purpose, Pharaoh, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, God says, I've raised you up for the sole purpose of taking you down and demonstrating my sovereign power. And that's not just true of Pharaoh, but that's true of any regime, as wicked and cruel as it may be. You think God's in heaven wringing his hands over the wicked regimes of man? No. He's sovereign over it all. And somehow he's using it to serve his purposes and advance his gospel agenda. So Daniel continues and he goes on and says that there's going to be a kingdom that would follow Babylon, but this kingdom would be inferior to it. If Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon was the head of gold, the empire that would follow him would be a silver empire, and there's a decreasing value of gold to silver. The chest and the arms of the image are made of silver, and this represents the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. The kingdom's going to go from Nebuchadnezzar, uh, not in his lifetime, but in his successors. Um, the Medo-Persian empire will arise from the ashes of Babylon. Cyrus the Great uh, the very one who issues the edict that the Jews could return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. He's the head of the Persian Empire. This is the empire of silver in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. A third kingdom would follow the gold and the silver and would be a kingdom of bronze. What followed in the wake of the Medo-Persian Empire but Alexander the Great's Greece and Greek Empire. Alexander the Great, you know, history tells us that he was just a brilliant military strategist. After the death of his father, Philip of Macedon in 336 B.C., uh, Alexander crossed into what's now modern parts of Turkey. At the time, it belonged to Persia, the Persian Empire, which is modern-day Iran. But within three years, Alexander would overwhelm the armies of Persia. He then marched south and conquered the whole Mediterranean world. He went so far as the Indus River in India where he wept, history says, because there were no more lands and peoples to subjugate. He died in Babylon, a young man, but not before he had spread Greek culture all throughout the world through the Greek Empire. Well, the image of the dream goes from a head of gold to arms and a chest made of silver, a torso of bronze, then to legs that were made of iron. It was the Roman Empire that conquered the world after the Greeks. Rome and Rome's iron legions 
Rome was noted for its ability to crush all who stood in its way. In fact, uh, Rome, the strength of Rome, led to what history has referred to as Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. And it wasn't so much peace because the Romans were a peaceful people as much as it was a peace through strength. Rome subjugated the world and held the world under its iron boot. But Rome's contributions to history was such it developed a system of roads. Greece before it had developed a common language that was true throughout the whole world. So listen to me. It isn't by accident that Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son into the world at just the right time, following the Greek empire, at the zenith of the Roman empire. Jesus Christ is born. And, and, and Roman roads and a common language of Greek helped aid the rapid um, expansion of the gospel. And so folks, listen to me. I'm telling you simply this for you to simply understand things happen in the world around us, but they don't just happen. There is a sovereign architect behind history. And this chapter shows us that this God, this revealer of mysteries, is moving history forward to its intended conclusion. And it's the reign of Jesus Christ. The sovereign rule of God's own king upon Mount Zion. (laughs) You think, well, this is interesting. In fact, this is one of the reasons why the book of Daniel is one of the most attacked books by those that don't believe the Bible. Because this is so specific. The prophetic truth contained in the book of Daniel is so specific that skeptics say, oh, that had to be written way, way, way after the time of Daniel. (laughs) Because when Daniel's interpreting this vision to Nebuchadnezzar. Rome is nothing more than a little village. Greece is nothing but just a warring bunch of city-states. Persia is still a vassal people to Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. But God is saying through the prophet to Nebuchadnezzar, listen, you think you're something? Let me just tell you, there's going to be a time when your kingdom's going to come to an end. There's going to be a kingdom that's going to arise from the ashes of yours. But that kingdom too is going to meet its end. There's going to be a kingdom that's going to arise from its ashes. And then so on and so forth. And and, and in the vision, the final thing that Nebuchadnezzar witnesses is this stone that crushes the image at its most vulnerable point. The weakest point of the whole image is the feet that's made up of clay and iron. And most prophecy scholars says that this is the empire of Antichrist that will be the world dominant power at the time of the second coming of Jesus to establish his kingdom upon the earth in the literal sense. Now, we could look at this and we could speculate and we could debate and we could go back and forth, but let me tell you, prophecy is not given so that you and I can speculate and be stargazers and that kind of thing. All of this is given to help us be confident in what we believe, men and women. And while we can't figure out all of the details and there are certain things that God's not chosen to reveal, what he has revealed is enough that ought to motivate us as the people of faith to take the gospel and share it with our lost friends and neighbors. To see to it that the peoples of earth that have yet to hear the gospel get the gospel. But you see, all of this truth is meant to be reassuring truth to God's people. The stone that strikes the image, this is is God's own Messiah who's going to come and he's going to establish a kingdom and that kingdom's going to fill the whole earth like a great mountain 
and all of the kingdoms of men will crumble into ashes. Now, let me come back to this for just a second, but Dr. David Jeremiah has pointed out some characteristics of the image as it relates to human government. And I find his insights very, very helpful. He says that to begin with, this speaks of the decreasing stability of man's government. Decreasing stability. You'll notice that what begins with gold ends with clay. The whole thing is top-heavy and destined to crumble because it stands on a weak foundation. Nothing but clay. And this is an important thing to remember about human government, whether it be a democracy, whether it be a dictatorship. Folks, flawed kings build flawed kingdoms. Man's best systems of government are all inherently flawed because man himself is deeply flawed. And this very notion that humanity longs for righteous government this is so hotly debated in our country, especially in an election year. We, we long for a righteous government, and that longing is yet one more piece of evidence that points us to our one and only hope of a Savior. The only perfect government is the government of King Jesus. And then Dr. Jeremiah says that this, points, uh, this image also um, is representative of the deteriorating morality of man's government. Something to consider as it relates to the nations, is how the nations of men tend to spiral down into immorality and chaos. What begins with gold ends with a mixture that won't hold together, which by the way, this flies in the face of everything that Darwin said. <laughs> Evolutionary idea wants to take this image and turn it upside down. We're just progressively getting better and things are just going to progressively get better and better and better. You know, most Christians held to an amillennial view, even, even a post-millennial view of, of, of world history prior to the 20th century. But then the 20th century happened. Before the 20th century, a lot of prophecy buffs said, well, you know, the, the world's just gradually going to be a, get, get better and better and better, and, and, and the church is going to just usher in the kingdom rule of Jesus. Well, then the 20th century happens, and in the 20th century, you've got two world wars, the nations are, are just like choppy seas, just seething and boiling. More deaths from global conflict in the 20th century than all of the other centuries combined. You say, well, what's going, where do we fit in that in 2020? All I can tell you is this. We're one day closer to the return of King Jesus than we were yesterday. And things will get worse as far as human governments are concerned. And perhaps all of the chaos and all of the division today has helped fostering, fueling this search for one perfect leader who will emerge onto the world stage that the world will bow down and literally worship. Antichrist. But whatever he builds... And the satanic power behind him, whatever it tries to build, it won't hold together. It won't be nothing more than an iron clay mixture that's destined to be blown to smithereens by the power of God's own stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Which, by the way, isn't it an interesting thing? As we spiral down in morality, we're also increasing in force. David Jeremiah also points out how you know, there's a decrease in value of the metals, but there's an increase in the hardness of the metals in this image, going from gold all the way to the iron. As far as morality is concerned, isn't it interesting that the more and more we sink into the gutter as a nation, let's just apply this to us in our context, the more immoral that we become as a people and as a nation. Listen, America's military power has never been greater than it is now. And yet, at the same time, we've never been as low morally and spiritually as we are now as a people. Lawlessness is on the increase. These are interesting times in which we live. In the 1700s, there was a professor who taught history specialized in Greek and Roman history at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. His name was Alexander Teitler. But there's a quote that's attributed to him. He says, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves money from the public treasure. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidate promising the most money from the public treasury with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy followed by a dictatorship. The average age of the world's great civilizations has been 200 years. That's true, you go back, look at Babylon, look at Persia, look at Greece, look at Rome. These nations have progressed through the following sequence. Now listen to this. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, from dependency back to bondage. That as societies and nations become materially wealthy and prosperous, at the same time there's also a decline in morality and they become apathetic, and they literally begin tearing themselves apart. A lot of people wonder what role America will have on the world stage in the last days. Will it be absorbed into the empire of Antichrist in the last days? Will it continue to be a staunch advocate for Israel in the last days? Well, folks, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if things continue as they are now, we're going to tear ourselves apart as a people. And my prayer is for revival within the church and for national brokenness. And you think it's something for a 5.1 earthquake to get your attention on a Sunday morning? Imagine when the nation begins shaking and quaking. Maybe what's been going on here lately has just been the beginning of birth pains. One final thing that I want to show you in this text, and I'm through, and it's simply this, the message of a coming kingdom. The whole image, the interpretation of the dream, all of this, it's all about the message of a coming kingdom. Man's kingdoms will fall. Man's kingdoms no matter what man builds, it's destined to crumble and be reduced to ash. Because the stone 
that's cut out but not by human hands, strikes the image on its most vulnerable point, smashes the things to smithereens. And if it weren't for the interpretation of what this means, we would be pretty miserable people at this point because life would seem to be pointless. No matter what man tries to do by way of building governments and empires, it all just seems to crumble in the end. The perfect kingdom is something that's been sought after throughout man's history, but it's proven elusive to him. No matter how hard he tries, humanity's kingdoms are destined to crumble, smashed to pieces by a mysterious stone. But folks, let me tell you something. It's in the stone that we find all of our hope because this is the stone that the builders rejected that's now become the chief cornerstone. This is the solid rock, the bedrock of our hope, Jesus Christ coming in all of his glory to obliterate all of the devil's attempts to rule the world, the usurper that he is. And as the stone became a mountain that filled the earth, so also will the kingdom that Jesus Christ has established. And let me tell you something. He rules now in the hearts of his people where he sits enthroned, even though physically he's in another dimension, but the time is soon coming when he's going to descend from heaven. He's going to smash to pieces all that oppose him, and he's going to reign upon the earth. And as those who trust in him, who know him, who have a relationship with him, we will rule and reign with him. And that is the hope that we have. So let me tell you, you can live with confidence in times such as these. You don't have to get caught up in all of the chaos and the frenzy, but you can live with a calm confidence because you know the stone. And you're not building your life upon the shifting sand of changing culture. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you stand as we pray this morning? Daniel was able to live confidently because he knew the revealer of mysteries. Do you know the revealer of mysteries? Do you know Christ in a personal saving way? Do you have personal saving knowledge of God through faith in his Messiah, the Lord Jesus? If not, then let me just encourage you. Let me urge you. Repent of your sin. Believe that Christ died to save you from your sin. When he came the first time, listen, he, he stepped into a world of chaos. Caesar Augustus was ruling in his pomp in Rome, but unbeknownst to him and the rest of the world, heaven's king made his entrance into this world in a little obscure village known as Bethlehem. The red carpet wasn't rolled out for him, but there were nothing but shepherds there. Wise men from the east came a bit later. But he lived in relative obscurity. 33 and a half years. Three and a half of those years was his ministry. He opened blinded eyes. He healed lepers and the sick. Raised the dead to life of God. All of that was to authenticate who he is. God's own son. Sinless. Perfect in every way. But he was a lamb prepared for the slaughter. And the king of heaven went to the cross and suffered, bled, and died for the sin of humanity. My sin, 
was laid upon him on Calvary's tree so that through faith in him I could be declared righteous, forgiven, accepted, and a part of the family of God. Nebuchadnezzar, he bit the dust. Cyrus the Great, he bit the dust. Alexander, Caesar, they all bit the dust. Their remains are scattered somewhere on some hillside. But Jesus Christ, God's Messiah, he died on the cross, but he was buried for three days. But on the third day, he arose in victory and power over death, hell, and the grave, and he's defeated it all. He's ascended into heaven. And, and, and listen, he's been building his church for these 2,000 years. And the time is soon coming when our king is literally going to step out of the skies. And he's going to establish a kingdom upon the earth, and we're going to rule and reign with him. But only if you know him. Only if you have faith and have personal saving knowledge of this revealer of mysteries. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus, oh, how I urge you. Trust him. Place all of your faith and confidence in him. Believer, are you discouraged with all that's been going on in your world? Have you been discouraged lately? You know, they say that depression has been on the rise these last several months as we're coping with what's been going on in society. Oh, can I just, can I just call upon you to just look a little higher than what's going on around you. Lift up your eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Oh God, we worship you this morning. You are indeed the revealer of mysteries. We don't understand everything there is to know, Lord, about life in the universe, but what you want us to know, you've revealed to us so that we can have hope, so that we can live confidently as those who look to a Christ who rules and reigns, and we will rule and reign with him. Lord, take this truth and seal it up in our hearts. Mold us into the people, Lord, that you want us to be in these days. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.